0: morning Morning. today's call to worship is psalms 118 verses 24 through 26 It's on page 566 of your pew bible the lord has done it this very day let us rejoice today and be glad lord save us lord grant us success Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. Good morning. Today's scripture is found Acts 2, 46 and 47. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple's courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together and were glad and had sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying, enjoying, enjoying all the people, God's favor. The Lord added to their number daily and they were all saved. Thank you. Good morning to everyone. And uh, thank you for inviting us once again to share a teaching together of God's Word. Jenny and I always uh, look forward to coming and seeing you. And we enjoy getting to know you and getting to know your names. We're a little slow because I have to write everything down. I don't know if you're like me. If somebody tells me their name, it goes in this ear. Guess where it comes out? Right there. So uh, in the old days back at Downey... I would have my secretary or somebody write down their name. If I can see your name, I'll remember it, because I'm more visual, you know. Do you all know each other here pretty well? How many of you, I want you to raise your hand. By the way, do you know what? I do have some sermon notes for you today. Please take them out. They're on the back side of You Might Want to Know page. And uh, do you notice the name and the title of this message? This message is called what? Getting to know you. So how many of you, if I ask you, could actually go row to row and name everyone in the church? Okay, how many could do that? Now, Pastor Greg, I bet he could do it, huh? You all agree? I, I think he could. I don't know. But it's important for us to know one another because we are the body of Christ. We're not the Lions Club. We're not a service club of any type, a gathering, just a group of people coming together. We are the body of Christ. And the body of Christ means intimacy with one another. Intimacy means sharing who we really are and being transparent with one another. That can only happen when we know one another. We don't share with someone we don't know. But we do share, and we are open to those that we do know and believe loves us. Isn't that true? It really is. Well, this week I found myself praying for those two young hikers, the woman, 18 years old, the man, 19 years old, lost in the Angeles Crest uh, Mountains, you know, for several days. And I was worried about them. How many prayed for them? I knew it. We were thinking about them and praying for them, and we were so relieved, uh, Jenny and I, when we got the news that the young man was found and saved, you know, and then we were wondering about the young woman, and then she was found and rescued, and I felt relieved. Didn't you? You know? And it was, it, it's, you know, Southern California is a huge area, but we find from time to time there are certain uh, news events that draw us all together. As if we lived on the same block in the same community. Isn't that true? And that was one of them. Because we all know this story. We heard it, we were, talked about it, we prayed about it. Well, today I want to talk to you about an event that was like a magnet that drew everyone together. And even people who came from different cultures, spoke different languages, were drawn together from this one event. I want you to open your Bibles now to Acts chapter 2. Acts, the book of Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to stay in the book of Acts, but I'm going to flip around a little bit. And you'll need your Bible because I do have some scriptures on here, but I have a lot more to show you. And um, so you need to have your Bible open. We're going to be starting um, around where Jenny was reading. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2. I'm going to actually start reading about verse forty. And um, when you get there, just say amen. Amen. Now we're in Acts chapter 2, we're at verse 40, and it says, With many other words, he, that is Peter, warned them, and he pleaded with them, and he said, now read it with me, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Of course, you know, the, the, the setting of this is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is a Pentecostal event when the, when the Holy Spirit was like tongues of fire on the apostle's head, and Peter went out and began to preach. And this is his sermon. And in verse 41, it says, And those who accepted his message were what? Baptized. They were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That is a lot of baptisms in one day. And we're looking forward to having those kinds of baptisms, aren't you? We want them to have them right here in Santa Clarita. There's no reason why you can't. Now, one thing that always comes up when there's baptisms is this. Let's say we baptize 10 people. Well, Pastor, who's watching over them? Because so and so wasn't here today. Do you know where so and so is, Pastor? Kind of know what I'm talking about? People are baptized. They don't come to church one Sabbath or two. We wonder where they're at. Can you imagine the difficulty 12 apostles have facing them with 3,000 brand new people? Huh? 3,000 is a good problem, isn't it? I think it is. Well, the Holy Spirit had a solution to that. Now, if you want to look at your notes with me a minute, look at the first uh, point I have there. I'd like you to read that first sentence with me. It's right here, printed on your uh, sermon notes. It starts with the Holy Spirit inspired. See it? Read it with me. Here we go. The Holy Spirit inspired believers to make their homes spiritual life centers. The Holy Spirit inspired people to make their homes spiritual life centers. Wow! Now, this was not the conference idea. It wasn't the general conference idea. It wasn't the pastor's idea. This is a Holy Spirit-led organization. And it's something we need to pay attention to, big time. The early believers were organized around small groups. There were two places that the early believers worshipped in. One, the temple. Because the temple grounds, this huge area, could hold 3,000 people in worship easily. Okay, that's for the large settings. But then after worship time, people went home to where the real action was taking place, and that was in their very homes. Now these homes were really small. In fact, um, I went when I was visiting Israel, We went to an excavation site and learned that usually a home, homes are built differently, but just to give you an example, a home might have been uh, three rooms. The first room was a cooking room. It was probably maybe 12 feet wide, about 7 feet, 12 feet long, 12 feet is 7 feet wide. There was cooking there and seating area, and that's where people would gather. The second room about the same size, about seven feet. That's where the animals were kept during the night. The third room was the sleeping room, where the whole family would sleep all together back there. And most of us wouldn't even think about bringing in the donkeys and the goats and stuff like that in the house, but they did because that was a source of heat. And that was what a house looked like. But nevertheless, people brought other friends into their homes to talk about Jesus the thing that happened was that during the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, everyone experienced the power and joy of God in their lives. Have you, can you remember back when you were baptized and you felt so fresh, so clean, so free, so enlivened? You know what I'm talking about? You know, you're Man, This is I want to live this way and feel this way every single day. That was a Holy Spirit in you And they felt it And they lived it The other was this Right here This cross cross represents to us The resurrection of our Lord Now I want to make a distinction Lazarus, you know Jesus said Lazarus, come forth He'd been in the tomb four days Lazarus, come forth Was not resurrected He was brought back to life Okay? And he went on living his life Jesus was resurrected. Completely brand new thought and idea. Jesus has resurrected new body, you know. Most of us will have everything, including hair, when we get to there to heaven. But Jesus retained, of course, the wounds on his hands and on his feet. The Bible tells us that. All of those people at Pentecost that we're talking about today. We're part of that experience of the resurrection, of the reception of the Holy Spirit. And now the third component is the experience with one another. You know, Jesus said that there is a greatest commandment. Now, we know we have ten commandments, but a person asked Jesus, well, Lord, what is the greatest? What did the Lord say? Love the Lord God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, okay? And the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself so it's, it is the cross it's the love for god and the love for the neighbor the horizontal and the vertical so when i talked about getting to know one another it is intimate intimacy that the church members are looking for intimacy is sharing your heart sharing who you are being transparent talking about your foibles, talking about your failures. I want to get to that in just a minute. Jenny was talking to me today and says, do not veer off your notes. I, I have the worst problem of looking under every stone. You know, so I'm looking under this one. I'm gonna, so I'm not going to veer off my notes very much, but I have to right now. Now take a look at Jenny uh, read to you our scripture, 2nd chapter 2 of Acts, Verse 46. Find verse 46 here. Just stay in the book of Acts with me. It says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Okay? Now, read the next line with me. Here we go. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Wow. First place they met was in the temple. Second place they met was they broke bread together in their homes, which means they ate together and they experienced communion together. How often? Every day. Every day. And how did they feel? Glad. Yeah. Their hearts were glad and sincere. Now, notice it didn't say they were glad and sinless in terms of you'll never do anything wrong again. They were sinless in terms of Jesus forgiving them as if they had never sinned. That's true. But now look down here in verse 47. Praising God, enjoining and enjoying the uh, favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Does your Bible say being saved? It should say that because it's a linear verb, which means it's ongoing. In other words, well, I'm already saved. Yeah, that's good. But being saved is an ongoing process. Is it something you worry about? No. What this is indicating is that the being saved is a growing experience with all of us. It's not just a one-time experience, you know? Wow, I wish I could feel like I did um, just after I was baptized, you know? the, The feeling of euphoria and feeling of God's goodness and love in my heart. Friends, I want to tell you something. I really feel better than that. I remember when Jenny and I were baptized. But the Lord says, you're being saved. So you never stop growing and learning. And don't get me wrong, you are in a saved position. So that means if Jesus came today, guess where you're going? You're going with him. Because being saved and part of that glad throng of people during the second coming is based upon not Your or my personality or my character or your character. Our salvation is completely based upon the character of Christ. Amen? That's why we're going to heaven because Christ died for us. But we still want to grow up to know Jesus, huh? And that's what this being saved is about. Now, I hope I explained that well enough. I don't want anyone leaving here saying, I don't know if I'm saved or not. Yes, you are. And by the way, if there's anyone in here who is unsure of their salvation, please talk to me afterwards. Okay? That's what I love to talk about. So, the first point is that the Holy Spirit inspired believers to make their homes spiritual life centers. They were there. What did they do? Well, they sang together, they talked together, they prayed together, they brought the neighbors in, they talked about the Lord. It was a great place to be. And I describe a house to you because a lot of times when I say, would you open your home as a spiritual life center, a lot of people go, oh, Pastor, you should see the carpet, you know? And not only that, I got, only have three plates that match and two glasses that match. Everything else my husband got has a baseball theme on it, you know what I mean? I can't invite anyone because my silverware do not match. I only have a place setting for 15, being a little bit over, over the top here. But don't we have those kinds of ideas when I say, hey, would you open your home to someone? We're going, here's all the reasons it can't happen. But you know what? The people in the first century, it didn't matter because they were wanting Jesus. They were serving Jesus, and they were glad they had a place to open. See what I mean? Now, the number of people who were being baptized kept growing and growing. People were added daily, daily. There's a five thousand baptism. There's a three thousand baptism. Uh, uh, and there's a two. There's a three thousand baptism. There's a two thousand baptism. There's five thousand. This thing is just growing exponentially. And what we find out is that people are being added, not because of the internet. It's not because of mass mailing. Well, how are they getting their names to baptize them? Well, it wasn't by calling anybody because there weren't any phones. There was no television advertisement. They didn't even have radio. How was the message getting out, friends? One brother telling another brother, one sister telling another sister where the bread's at. And you know what? In the last days of earth's history, which we live in, that is precisely how it's going to happen. It's not about how many mail-outs you did. Because, you know, in evangelism, we know that people are brought to Jesus, about almost almost 70% of the people who come and are baptized come because of friends, neighbors, and relatives. These are the ways. Neighbors bring neighbors, friends bring friends, relatives brings relatives, They come, they find Jesus. That's exactly what was happening in this first century. It was Pentecost, the Spirit of God had been poured out upon them, and they were telling others, everybody, about it and inviting them home, and they weren't afraid. Now, if you're sitting there saying, let me rephrase that. If I ask you, to write down the name of three people that you could bring to church next week, and you would be praying for them this next week. Do you have three people that you know that you could pray for and bring here next week? I don't, don't raise your hand. Just think about it, okay? A lot of times, people who have been in the way, you know the church is called the way. Have you heard that before, you know? Sometimes we get in the way. Oh, sorry. Um, anyway... Um, Sometimes, after we have been in the way, like five or ten years, we don't know any heathens. We don't even deal with the heathens. You know what I'm saying? Oh, no, she smokes. She can't come over. Oh, no, he drinks. He can't can't come over. Those kids, no. They can't come over. You know what? Who did you find Jesus hanging out with? All the sinners. All the smokers, all the drinkers, all those bad kids that run around, make noise, cause trouble. That's who Jesus ran around with. And Jesus knew that once they got to know him, once they opened their hearts to the Holy Spirit, things would change. Amen? Uh, By the way, when you received the Holy Spirit, did your life change? Mine did. Jenny's did. Okay, stop preaching. I'm back to teach it. Okay? Now let's go to point two. Look at your lesson. Here you go. The gospel spread through the whole wor- world by word of mouth. Now, what I've done here is I put down um, four samples of these house churches. So, what you learn about this is that the small group pattern that we find in Jerusalem, where the Pentecostal experience began, was not limited to that area. This became the organizational method of spreading the gospel. Because what I've done here is I put down, for example, if you look at Lydia's house, take a look at your notes a minute. Lydia lived at Philippi, which is in the Bible times, from Macedonia. Today we call it Greece. Okay, so up there in Lydia, Lydia is up here, and there's a, there's a house church right there in her home. Well... Priscilla and Aquila, well-known at Ephesus. Ephesus is is Bible times in Asia. Today's times would be be Turkey, you know? In fact, it's one of the seven churches when you talk about Revelations, the message to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, this is one of them, okay? Uh, C is Philemon, who is a wealthy man. There was a church at his house at Colossae, which is also in the Turkey area. And then you have Nympha's home at Laodicea, which is in that same area, big area. So the reason I show you this is to illustrate that the organizational structure that started in Jerusalem spread out into the whole known world. So in Syria, in Greece, in Asia, in Palestine, you find home churches. This was God's design. Now, by the way... There were no churches because you are the church. We are the church. And if you have two or three in your small group at your home, you are the church of Santa Clarita. If there are ten of those going on, they are the church, and there's the church, and there's the church, because the church refers to who? People gathered in Christ's name. Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, the Lord says, where is he at? Right there. So the church is always referenced to people. It wasn't until um, around the the 6th century that there became a transition where the church began to mean a building. It moved from meaning people to meaning building. And sometimes we do refer to it that way. Come to my church... And we, we all do that now. But we, not, we need to recapture the first century language, which is the more accurate language of people. Church, you are the church and I am the church. We. And even the church is, you know, this, the, like the larger Seventh-day Adventist church, the world church, is always talking about people. This pattern went out. If you're keeping score, you have a pencil. I want you to write on your... On your notes, first, um, excuse me, Colossians, just write C-O-L, Colossians six. Just write that down, Colossians 1.6. And when you get home, you can look it up. We're not going to take time to do it now. But in Colossians six, it says, it, it tells you about the effectiveness of word-of-mouth saints like us and how they're doing spreading the gospel. And in Colossians 1:6 it says it says all over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and growing. That's what you're going to read. Wow, how to do it? Through the internet? No. Mass mailing? No. You can be with me on this. Radio? No. Television? No. Word of mouth? Yes. Does that surprise you? Think about it a minute. Let's see? Now, I want to give you some examples, a couple of examples I have here of house churches in action, okay? And um, I want you we're in the book here of Acts and I want you to take and just turn over to chapter 12. This is going to be Acts chapter 12. So just turn over to uh, chapter 12. And this is easy to remember. 12, 12. Okay, 12, 12. What's the scripture? 12, 12. Now, here, um, Peter is, has escaped from prison, you know. And when he escapes, he goes to. John Mark's house. This is John Mark. This is Mark that's in your Bible. That's the gospel. And look at verse 12. It says, It says, When this had dawned on him, and Peter came to his senses, he went to the house of who? Mary, the mother of John. That's a young guy. Also called Mark. Okay where many people had gathered and were doing what? Praying. Praying. So in the first century, the way it's working out is some of the believers had larger homes. Now, some, you know, somebody asked the question, well, what's the largest home and the largest gathering you could possibly have? And uh, the answer to that is, I don't know, but mostly people would, could hold, if you could hold 100 people in your courtyard and in your home, that was a big home in the first century, okay? 100 people. Some go up to even 300. I don't know, that's pretty big. But, so, in other words, whenever they had the house churches, they were on the small side. 50, 30, 20, like that. Because the regular standard home, you could probably put maybe 10 in. You know, just guessing. But it gives you a concept that when God's people met together as a church, it was in a small group. See? And so here they meant, you know, here they are together, again, it's word of mouth. They didn't call each other on the phone. "Hey, can you come over to my house? I'm having a prayer?" No, no. It was word of mouth. And they all showed up. boom. And they were praying for Peter, and um, didn't believe he got out of jail, by the way, if you read the rest of it. Now, take a look at, now turn over now to another one. I want you to look at verse, uh, chapter 20. This is Acts, chapter 20. And this one is also easy to remember because it's 2020. 2020. You'll never forget this. And I'm, I want you to, I want to show you this because this, the context here is Paul He's saying goodbye to the people in Ephesus before he comes to Palestine. He's on a journey, and he's moving that way. But he's kind of recapping his ministry for them. And I want you to see that when Paul did his teaching, it wasn't just you know out in a square somewhere. Look at verse 20. It says, You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you in two places. Where at? Publicly and where? From house to house. This is indicative of the house churches in Ephesus that were established based on the organizational premise of the Holy Spirit in Palestine. Now, there's a real... By the way, next week, you don't want to miss next week's message. Of course, I'll be preaching. But the message is, did you know the Seventh-day Adventist Church history, in our history, early history, small group ministries were huge. We were in small group ministry. We were formed around small group ministries. You may not know that so i want to share it with you next week and come and i'll show you and i'll give you some resources and you can look it up yourself that's going to be next week all the world was coming to know jesus all the world was coming to know the gospel all the world was coming to know salvation and being baptized and the church was growing and expanding all around all around north africa and up into the Gaza Peninsula there, Palestine, Syria, and then it goes over into Turkey, you know, which they called Asia, and then it spreads over into Europe, into Greece, in that whole area. You know, down the boot of Italy, you know. This gospel is spreading in the first century in Paul's lifetime. In one man's lifetime, this message of Jesus spread... Throughout the known Mediterranean world. They call it the Mediterranean Rim. Isn't that amazing? Now what would happen, brothers and sisters, if we if we here in Santa Clarita put our hearts and minds and made a pledge to Jesus, Lord, I want my house to be a spiritual life center. What would happen? Oh, pastor, we couldn't do that in my house. Why? Because i got to watch that TV show on Wednesday. Well, what about it? Well, it's HBO. Sorry. That's the thing about pastoring. We can talk about things. So we want our homes to be spiritual life centers, don't we? We do. And bring the, you know, by the way, by the way, I must say this. Now, look, being a spiritual person doesn't mean you're dull and boring and sad and gloomy, okay? We've got to get over that. Me and Jenny and our family have had a great time throughout our whole time because we just had a good time together. This is fun. I mean, knowing Jesus is good. It's fun. I want that for you guys, too. I want to say something. I don't, want you, I don't want you to think I'm bragging about this. But I just want to tell you this, that we have three children. One's a pastor, and two, my two daughters, are one's an elder, and one's a teacher. All have to do with their church involved. And their kids are there, and they're going to our schools. It's not because, oh, isn't Pastor Mitch and Jenny... There's just special people. That's how that happened. No, it's not. It had nothing to do with us. It had everything to do with Jesus. Okay? All we did was let Jesus reign. He just took over. You know how it is, parents? We all need a little help, don't we? Including me and Jenny. We need a lot of help. I know you don't yell at the kids, huh? No spanking. I did. I yelled. I spanked. <laughs> We learned, but we wanted our house to be a spiritual life center. And the fruit of the Lord is for all of us, isn't it? In fact, we call it the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, long-suffering, you know. It's for you. It's for all of us. The Lord says, come, come to the table, come, see? You want to live the good life? This is the good life I'm talking about. This is not the fake life. I'm talking about the good life. And Jesus welcomes you to that life. Don't you want to be part of that life? And you are. And we're growing. Remember we're being saved, we're learning, we're on the learning curve including pastors. Ha. <laughs> Don't think the pastors, including Pastor Gray or any other pastor, have it made. Oh, they just—they're just nice people. No, we're not. Sometimes we get mad and say bad things and think, "Oh, I don't even tell you about that." But we know who to go to for correction, see, and how to do that, and we also know how to forgive. All right, number three. Here we go, number three on your sheet. On your sheet, number three. Would you read that with me, please? It says, All the believers put their spiritual gifts to work in the Lord's service. Every one of you have spiritual gifts. Amen? Every single one of you have gifts. You're gifted by God. And now I want to show you our scripture. I have it printed for you right here on your page. If you look at your page... It says this. This is from 1 Corinthians 12. It says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for what purpose? What does that mean? It is to benefit the body of Christ and where you live. Okay, it's not limited to us, just us. But it's for the common good. Man, you put Christians in neighborhoods and things begin to get better. You put Christians in certain places and things begin to improve. It's for the common good. And it goes on to say, all these are the work of the one and the same Spirit. And, now read the rest of it with me. Here we go. He gives them to each one just as He determines. I'm standing up here as a pastor today. I didn't ask for the job. You can ask for the job but it's the Holy Spirit who decides. When we were baptized, I had... Listen, I, I, I don't, I'm getting so old, I forget how many stories I tell you. But listen, if, this, if you've heard this story, act like you haven't heard it before. Okay. So my friend, uh, Jenny and I were just baptized. And my friend is teaching the Sabbath school lesson. And I'm sitting right in the front row, and he's right there. George Sellers. Who knows George? George Sellers. Love George, man. He's a good man. And uh, so gregarious, you know, a nice man. And so one day I'm sitting in the class and he says, Mitch, would you like to teach the Sabbath school lesson? And I thought he stabbed me in the heart because my hands, when he said that, my hands started sweating, I started sweating, and I was paralyzed because I thought, I can't even talk. How can I get up there and teach? But what I'm saying this for is this, friends, is that... If God calls you, he also equips you. God calls, God equips. Okay, got that? He calls, he does what? Equips. So if he's calling you, and through your spiritual gift, you have that call, he is going to make it happen. Not you. Not, not by going to the educators. It's through the Holy Spirit. So, all the believers put their spiritual gifts to use for the Lord. They were happy to do it. We, have, um, uh, we, we did a little experiment. People who are in their spiritual gifts love it, whatever they're doing. Some people have the gift of hospitality, like my wife Jenny. She has a gift of hospitality. Hospitality includes welcoming people, being kind to people, loving people to come to their house, making food for them. Huh? Am I resonating with some of you? Wait a minute, am I resonating with some of you? (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. And it's the thing that is, and so we notice that, you know what? We don't need a nominating committee anymore. We're just going to find out what the gifts are and then put the people in where their gifts work. Do you think that worked? Oh, yes. Oh, big time. Huge. Because one lady uh, we asked to be in charge of the cradle roll, And I know you moms love to be in charge of the cradle roll. Okay. See, I'm smiling. This lady, she's a real deal. We asked her because we knew she had a propensity toward that gift. Would you like to lead the cradle roll? And you would have thought that we asked her to be like the president of the United States or the governor, something like that. Man, I love this woman, this person, because she took her gift seriously and used it for the Lord. And the next thing I know, that is the most lively, fun, spiritual class in the whole church. Those kids are learning. They love it. They love their teacher. See what I mean? You're gifted in the same way. God is calling us to use our gifts for his benefit, for his joy. To love the Lord that way. Now, we started off talking about getting to know you, getting to know one another. And I've talked about this small group experience because, see, a church um, is got to be a place where we know one another intimately, which means we can share our hearts with each other. Do you all know, I've been fighting with myself whether to do this or not, but if you folks, do you folks over here and you over here, do you usually sit on those sides each week, just say amen. amen. Okay, we're creatures of habit, aren't we? <laughs> Knew it! <laughs> okay. Now, I need your permission. Can I have your permission to ask you to do something? I know I'm a visiting pastor, but I need to ask your permission. How many would say, yes, pastor, I give you permission? So There's six of us, seven. Okay, that's good. <laughs> When the service ends, only if you want to, okay? I'm just asking. Because, by the way, I've noticed what a friendly church you guys are. Amen. Okay? It's, it's fun being here with you. But I'm just saying, here's what I'm just saying. Would this side kind of look over there and say, okay, I, I, don't, I'm, I don't know him. And would this side look over there and say, oh, I don't know her. Would you go and meet someone you don't know? Amen. Now, this is the coolest. This is the coolest thing. This is the one I love. This. Is... Now, you don't have to do this one. I'm just telling you about it because it makes you nervous. How many have been in the church ten years and longer? Just raise your hand. Cool. Good. All right. Now, when I I did a little experiment at Downey, and I went over here to the brother, and I says, "Brother, do you know that other brother over there?" Yeah, I know him. Yeah, I see him every week. I said, what's his name? I don't know. <laughs> well, do you know him? Yeah, I know him. But I, I guess I know him by face, Pastor. Oh, you know him by face. Okay. Then, you know, I'm pretty sneaky. I go over next week on this side. And the brother we were talking about, I says, brother, do you know that brother that I was talking to you last week? Oh, yeah. I know him. What's his name? I don't know been to his house no do you know him yeah i know him i know him by face now i said would you go over there and ask him his name oh pastor i couldn't do that why because he thinks i know his name he thinks i know him kind of see where i'm going with this and i'm embarrassed you know what friends in the church of god we got to get over being embarrassed we got to get real can you imagine inviting somebody to your home, sitting around the dining room table, and you're going, hey, What's his name? Honey, what's what his name? You know, who is he? You know, you know John, huh? that's even happened to you, I bet. No, I'm just kidding. The church of God has to know one another. We are intimately connected because Jesus says through the Apostle Paul, You are the body of Christ, right? We're the body. And the hands and the feet, you know, and this kind of on the eyes and all that. Okay. There's some connection there. So we need to make it real. And that's why this message is entitled Getting to Know You. So I'm asking you, after the service, we have our little prayer, that you'll do that. Okay? Amen. How many feel embarrassed? Raise your hand. Anybody embarrassed here? Good, good, that's good. How am the only one embarrassed? But see, what we're trying to do is get real. That's what I'm talking about. And when I say hello to you, I know your name. Okay, enough preaching. We should pray. Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you very much for your great love. Thank you for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit to each one of us. Oh, Lord, you love us as if we were the only one. It's just too wonderful for us to really conceive of and to think of what you've done. Lord, we just praise you and we thank you. We worship you, dear God. You make all things possible. You know, you bring out the best in us, Lord. We want to get to know one another here at Santa Clarita. And there's people thinking about meeting somebody new today as a result of this message, Lord, you make it happen. And make it joyful and fun. Because, Lord, you gave us humor. You gave us smiling faces. I can see your face smiling right now, Lord. And how grateful and how proud you must feel of your church when they do know one another and behave in a kind and loving way toward one another. Bless our church family today, Lord. Help them in everything and their ways. And I give you thanks and praise for what you're doing here. And everyone says, Amen. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and the Lord God, Father Almighty, go with you today and forever. We pray in thy name. Amen.